Welcome to a very special edition of This Week in Marvel. My name is Ben Morse. I'm the editor of Marvel.com. We got a different sort of guest today, one that's uh, a real treat for me, uh, and I think you guys are really going to enjoy, and that's uh, legendary wrestling announcer, WWE Hall of Famer, Jim Ross, calling in over the phone. Jim, thanks again for taking the time to uh, chat with me this afternoon. You bet, Ben. Good to talk to you. Yeah, and we, we got a variety of stuff to talk about. Now, am I right in assuming this is uh, this is the first comic book-based podcast I believe you've ever appeared on? In history. <laughs> so this is a history. is being made right now. Audio history. It's an audio slobber knocker, Ben. <laughs> it's, it, it, it's a real treat for me. I'm a huge fan of your work. and we were I mean, we were just talking for 10 minutes before the deal even started, and you've already, you've already told me some interesting stories. I'm hoping we're going to get back out. We're going to talk about comics. I get some very unique comic stuff that we do not talk a lot about on Marvel.com we're going to talk to Jim about but before we get there uh, I want to talk to you about what you've been up to lately you've when did you get back from Japan because you were just over there calling the Wrestle Kingdom pay-per-view for New Japan and Global Force uh, it wasn't more than two weeks ago right the event was January 4th in the Tokyo Dome it was uh, Japan's version of Wrestlemania uh, uh the uh, uh, I got the event was January fourth, and the um, I got home on January fifth. I'm still punchy from that. I got I, I, I when I left, I lost a day. When I when I returned, I gained a day. So uh, it was a uh, it was a great time, unique environment, but the travel was hell. Yeah, I gotta imagine. You know, I watched, uh, I told my wife last night, because uh, we were always talking about going to movies, why don't we go see that, and okay, what's well, on now, it's on HBO or whatever. Uh, I watched four full-length films from Detroit to Narita. Do you remember what you watched? Yeah, pretty much. I, th- I watched, uh, I mean, the selection was a selection on the plane, but yeah. I watched Draft Day. I watched uh, The Rock and Hercules. There you go. Uh, I watched uh, the Four Seasons movie. Yep. Uh, thought it was pretty good too. Yeah. And I watched a horrid comedy uh, that the trailer is much funnier than the movie called Let's Play Cops or Let's Be Cops or something. These two guys wear a cop outfits at a, to a party or a, some kind of costume thing, and then they're mistaken for real policemen. So one of them comes up with the ingenious plan of the little pranks they can do and the perks that they can earn if they uh, are cops. So they buy a used cop car off eBay, and the uh, uh, hilarity begins. So I watched those four movies, and I had all my notes for the New Japan show, so I'm, I'm, I'm studying and trying to figure, you know, with an Oklahoma, with, with three bouts of Bell's palsy, facial paralysis, which I've essentially had to learn to re-speak many words over again yeah. multiple times. And with my southern accent, uh, for me to pop out those, uh, some of those Japanese names with uh, no strains or pains was not going to happen. So I had to really, I had to... Every note, I, I tried to phonetically spell the name so that I always had it in front of me. And oh man, it was uh, it was challenging. I did more prep on that show 
than I had done on any wrestling show I ever worked, including all the WrestleManias that I thought I used to over-prepare for. Wow. But this one was even worse. And it was so, a long show, too. Yeah, four hours. Yeah. Four hours and no, and no intermission. Yeah. I, I was, it was very well received, though. I mean, everyone seems to have kind of universally loved it. Uh, the action was great and very good reception to your commentary. In the midst of it, did you have the sense that this is a, this is a good show, or were you thinking so much about trying to get through that you were just uh, focusing on moment to moment? Well, we had an interesting, uh, we had an interesting situation there. <laughs> In the beginning of the show, uh, we didn't get counted on the air. The <laughs> truck forgot we were there, so our mics were open, and we just and there was an old old audio box. It was a slide deal. And it was only one, it was one level, so it fed both ears. So instead of having the, the channels where you can load, you know, put, load this ear up, take this ear down, depending on what they were feeding you, uh, we had one, probably the oldest audio connector, connector box in the country. Uh, and so it was either off or loud. But we never heard a count on the air. So I just started. Yeah. Then we didn't hear, we had a couple of three uh, video packages in the show, no count to that. The first format we got was in all Japanese, oh. big problem, Yeah. Uh, the run sheet. And then finally, uh, to keep to be consistent, we went off the air, and I, I thought we were about off the air, and I signed off and thanked the audience, and then the, without, the I didn't know, uh, the number one guy in the, co in the company, Tanahashi, yeah. uh, the, their champion, heavyweight champion, goes back up to the up the long ramps, about 50 yards long, to the stage, and they do this big pyro display. Uh, well, luckily, it's the same feed. It's the same truck that's ignoring us. It's feeding the thing down to satellite. So they, I signed off, which... It was irrelevant to them, and they kept it on the air until the uh, the New Japan feed was off as well. So everybody got to see the pyro. What are you going to say? Ooh, ah. Yeah. Look at that. Yeah. Did you see that? Not much of a call to make. No. So you can. It was a layout anyway. So uh, that was. It was a challenging. Uh, from a production standpoint, because you're used to people counting you in or, or producing you, sure. giving you giving you information or, or or what they want or whatever, and, and we didn't we didn't have any uh, interruptions, nor did we have any help. So you can look at it one or two ways: the glass is half empty, the glass is half full. Mm -hmm. We got, we got nothing. And so uh, the, the start, show started off a little bit rugged because we just didn't know what they were hearing, what the deal was, why we didn't get a count. And then they had all those multiple-person matches mm -hmm. at the beginning of the show, and they're hard to call. Yeah. But we had a 14-tag. We had a 8-man tag. Yeah. We had a 6-man tag. All like, stacked yeah, on top we, of one another, too. Yeah, back, yeah, and they were, and they were, uh, to make sure they had time for the second half of the show that they that they wanted in those main events, uh, they uh, those first matches were a little bit short. So you had a lot of people wanting to get some face time, and it was a little bit of a cluster, but it was a good cluster. It was yeah. uh, it was fun to watch, but it was a little bit chaotic for for, for my role and Matt Striker's role to get kind of get our our legs under us. And it was hard to get 
get your legs under you when you're doing those types of matches and you don't know about your uh, technical difficulties, if you have them or if they just, or they don't exist or, you know, whatever. So we ended up forgetting about the truck and just doing our own thing. Yeah. And uh, it worked out fine and nobody, again, four hours and a half, not one word from anybody. So uh, I, I'll never complain again about being overproduced. Yeah. Because it's almost better to be overproduced than to be no have no producer at all. Because every now and then you just like a you don't want to get an attaboy. Yeah. That's a good call, guys. Yeah. I mean, yeah, now, it's nice to hear once in a while. Yeah, and then it's a good call, guys, and we're going to this video package on Tanahashi in ten, nine, you know. So you can segue out of your thought. You can organically make, a, make your segue. It's easy, smooth, but uh, we didn't get those. So, but still. I'm doing all this bitching. It's a great. It was a great time. Yeah. It was really fun as a wrestling fan watching the style, their psychology, uh, their physicality. Uh, there was a noticeable increase in physicality in this show and uh, most shows that I've done in the last several years. Yeah. So with all these great matches, all the great action you got to call at Wrestle Kingdom, um, you know, I feel like every WrestleMania you did, every every show you did, you, you got that one signature match, that one you know you're going to hang your hat on. What's the one match you would say, especially given the the learning curve you had going in for the first few, what's the match you would say you really settled into your groove and would say this this was the match that made the show for me? Well, uh, there's, there's two answers. One is that when we got to the one-on-one matches, all was right with the world. <laughs> because now you can focus on two participants. Yeah. You can tell their story and the story is uh, it's a it's a tandem story. It's dual. Two, two parts as opposed to four parts or six parts or eight parts or whatever. So easier. Common sense tells you that's going to be a little bit easier. So once we started the one-on-one matches, the show turned for me from, I'm really trying here, I'm trying to get my rhythm, I'm trying to find my groove to where I'm there now, I'm fine. Sure. I hear the music, I'm all right, I got it, I can put lyrics to this, we're good. Uh, I think that the match, I, the last match is always supposed to be the featured match, and it was. Yeah. Uh, and it was good. Uh, you know, that's, this is where... Uh, Tanahashi beats his rival, Okada. Okada was leading the series 3-2-1. and one. Three wins, two losses, and a draw. Mm-hmm. Uh, he had beaten Tanahashi for the title before. He's 27. Uh, he's almost like the heir apparent. Tanahashi's 37. He's the stud that's trying to hold on to, you know, it's not like a comic book. Uh, uh, yeah, the way you're describing it. You know, and he knows that his days are numbered. But he wants to be the one that that uh, flips the switch, not not the company or another or one of his peers. Yeah. So that was basically the storyline. So with all that said, uh, I love the uh, Nakamura Ishi match. Right. That's the one a lot of people are talking about. Yeah. Nakamura is something else. Uh, he's really he yeah he's pretty damn extraordinary man. He is. Uh, he is the more, I will say this. I'm not going to say he's the best this, the worst that, or whatever. He's the most unique uh, talent that I've seen. For sure. Uh, I, I would say burst on the scene because I wasn't a regular viewer, weekly viewer of their product. But for me, 
for my eyes, bursting on the scene. Uh, I was familiar with him when I got to Tokyo because I'd been watching YouTube videos for a couple months. Right. But uh, all his nuances, uh, he's such an eclectic entertainer as he leaves. I, his entrance is worth watching. Yeah. If you, if you know that he was a Freddie Mercury, Michael Jackson disciple, <laughs> and when he first walked out, when I first saw him on TV with Japanese commentary, I didn't know what his persona was. I almost, he almost looked like, at times he was, and I, this is going to sound hor- horrible probably, and I don't want, there's no ill intent, but he's going he's gonna to look like someone that's walking out on an entrance that wants everyone to know that they are gay. Yeah. Uh, he really wants to show his fem- fem- feminine side yeah. with some of his mannerisms. And uh, But that's not the case. He's just that artistic vent of, of it so happens that Freddie Mercury and Michael Jackson were his creative influences as far as his attire, his, his uh, civilian clothing, all kinds of things. His haircut, his, the hats he wears, and you know, when he's in private time, he's a very trendy guy. And then when you go into the ring and you find out that as a little boy, he started training in uh, Muay Thai, which is striking, jiu-jitsu, uh, kickboxing. He's had several, uh, has a winning record in MMA fighting, legit, real MMA fighting. So he's he's a, he's a trained killer, but his influences are Freddie Mercury and Michael Jackson. Yeah, go figure. So yeah, how do you how do you make that segue? How do you, how do you and I even said that? How do you go from when he steps to the my deal was when he steps to the ropes, he's a different man. Yeah. And he, but he's got natural, his facial expressions are so ex, expressive and so vivid that uh, he. He gets it, man. He's an entertainer, and he's kind of he got the American culture. He trained for MMA in San Jose, California. So, and he speaks pretty good English. You put him with a guy like a, a villain, you know, the the uh, he had his own Lex Luthor, mm-hmm. uh, you know, which could like be a Paul Heyman kind of guy. Yeah, that would be an amazingly hot act sure for would. WWE, in my opinion. Absolutely. So he could be the. It could be the classic uh, heel that, that a lot of backward Americans like to boo because yeah. he, he doesn't look like them. And they're still lo- hanging their hat on December 7th, 1941. Yeah. Uh, uh, but with Heyman and him being able and the rest of being able to, uh, uh, Nakamura being able to stick some English, I see massive money. I see, you know, you'd want to do a nationalistic angle. You'd want a John Cena or a Daniel Bryan or a Roman Reigns, the quote-unquote American, to, uh, uh, you know, uh, silence the uh, arrogant, uh, evil, Oriental American, Oriental person. Yeah. Without making it racism, you, you still, nationalism is still huge, it's a huge deal, huge sure. business. I mean... When you, when you can go to Norman, Oklahoma, and watch the United States curling team play Canada or somebody like that on the on the Olympics, and you go to your your favorite little bar, and it's packed because it's full of people watching curling. Yeah. It's all. It's not because they love curling. Yeah. They want. I think they want to be Canada. Absolutely. Yeah. No question. So, so that's, that's that that old storyline plays out. 
Never gets old, yeah. And and look, I'll tell you something. It, uh, Ben, every year on the movies, the the, the, the Golden Globes were recently, obviously. Yep, just this weekend. Makes me think. You always see there's some 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 nationalism uh, situation that's always getting a play, getting a big, it's like it's big bucks. Yeah, I think it's a part of escapist entertainment culture, yeah. no matter what. Yeah. That idea of the other. American Sniper. Mm-hmm. Four tours of Iraq, this dude. Yeah. The most most prolific sniper in history. And uh, and it's directed by Clint Eastwood. It ain't going to be bad. Yeah. Based on, a, based on a best-selling true story, a book written by the, the author was the, was the guy. Uh, so it's that type of thing. It's always making a comeback. Absolutely. So, you know, so that's the, the story there. But I had a great time there, man. I just, you know, you wonder if you've got anything left in the tank and is the emotion there and you get a four-hour show and the most important things you're going to do are the last three matches. And uh, so we're, you know, I've never been one to say I'm going to pace myself. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't have, a, I don't even know what that is. <laughs> if it's really good and I see it on my monitor and it moves me and I'm, I'm, I'm it embraces me and the characters, it's like when I was a kid reading comic books. The characters became real. They were on paper, but for whatever reason, they they had personality. They had a they had a human texture to them because the stories were so easy for this kid to uh, to understand. And uh, you know, all those Superman comic books I had back when I was young in the uh, in the late fifties and, and throughout the mid sixties. Uh, man, I'd like to have had those right now. Yeah, okay, yeah. I, and, <laughs> believe me, I hear that a lot. In mint condition, so, but anyway. Well, uh, that's, that's, how, that's how that worked. Yeah, yeah, and, and, you know, it's a great show. It's still available for everyone to see through a multitude of uh, multitude of ways, but you bring up comic books, and, of course, this being the This Week in Marvel podcast, uh, we did a little something, we did a little experiment where I actually uh, I FedExed you last week some vintage WCW comic books that Marvel yeah. Comics back in the early early 90s, had a 12-issue run of right. World Championship Wrestling, um, and you were telling me before we started here that these were these were coveted items in the uh, WCW locker rooms back in the day. Well, yeah, they were, and uh, I'll give you this analogy. In mm-hmm. WWE now, and they, when the list comes out of who's going to be in the next video game, that is a huge deal. Yeah. Because uh, there's an opportunity there for that for, for given talent to make significant extra monies on their quarterly royalty reports if they are, uh, you know, active in promoting and working on and doing what they can do to better the video games. And then, so the more video games a company sells, and you know, ostensibly, the more uh, monies the talent earn. And if the monies that you earn without going on the road or getting in seat, you know, a middle seat, or uh, hitting the hurts counter, or leaving the crying kids, and and you know, mom looking out the window, if you you're going to work, you're going to Las Vegas for Monday Night Raw, and she's staying home with three sick kids, that kind of thing. Uh, that that video game money is is non-travel, non-bump, uh, you know, non-physical money. Yeah. And it can be very very good. Uh, so yeah, 
So when that game comes out, everybody, you know, rushes to see who made the who made the cut, so to speak. And the same thing used to be with the comic books. You know, the the it was such a new venture, and we had so many guys there that grew up in that comic book era. You know, that's what that's what people don't understand. I'm 60, 63 years old, but I've I've read you know hundreds and hundreds of comic books because in my youth. You know, without being sound like a you know country song here, there wasn't any, there wasn't any internet, there was no iPods, there was no i nothing, there was no there was no cable TV. We actually had to read books or watch one of the three network shows mm-hmm. or networks. So I was a reader. I loved to read. My grandpa taught me how to read when I was five, mm-hmm. and uh, so I was started reading early and had a, a vociferous appetite for, for reading. So I read, my deal was at the drugstore in my hometown of 900 people had a small but uh, very popular corner of their store that was magazines. They were like a sundry, yeah. the old days of the sundry. So they had their their magazines, Look and Life and Sports Illustrated and Sport Magazine, all oh, those yeah. things. Uh, and they had the comic book section. And, you know, I... I don't have any idea. I think maybe I, my hormones were racing when I got attracted to the Archie comics because... Happens to all of us, yeah. Veronica and uh, what was the other one's name? Betty. Yeah, Debbie. Yeah, they were... That was my little... Uh, uh, that was my first... That was pre-Playboy days. Yeah. As before discovering Hugh Hefner, I was looking at the Betty and <laughs> Veronica and the Archie comic book. So... Uh, they had that drugstore there, and my mom worked there. So she worked, you know, a counter help, you know, a clerk. Uh, and she uh, worked the soda fountain. And so I would, I, I, the, the, that little corner of the magazines and the comics was kind of my half, about half ass my babysitter sometimes. Yeah, sure. Because <laughs> I'd sit there and read for hours. Yeah. Oh, and I would, I, I wouldn't be buying a lot of comic books because I'd read them all. Well, that, but I've always bought some because that was the dream, though. That was the dream for yeah. all of us when we were kids. You had to have that stash. You yep. know, you had to have something at home to, to your go-to. Yeah. And uh, uh, so that was, I got a real lucky break on that deal. So I, I really got into comics because that was an outlet. That was a resource for my imagination, and to, you know, it created. Uh, it, it, just, it created, a, a, you know, a more positive, uh, I think it affected how I I wanted to entertain. Yeah. Or I wanted to be a part of something like this that others consume and like from an entertainer's perspective. Uh, so that's kind of my uh, my deal there. The, the comic books are like babysitters. And mom was always there behind the counter and taking a look every now and then. I, yep, I'm still here. Yep. You know, my dad, my mom would say, I tell mom, says, Mom, why do you look at me all, all, all the time? And, well, I'm going to make sure you, somebody doesn't take you. Yeah. My dad's sitting there and he says, oh, that'd bring him back. It's uh, <laughs> <laughs> a good line. So, yeah, that, that's pretty simple. Sound bite. Yeah. Good job, Dad. So that was the deal, but Superman was my go-to thing. Now, I, I would always buy the Superman comics, and, uh, you know, uh, that was the deal there, so... Uh, that he was my my, my go-to. Now, when I was telling you that we opened up one of our restaurants, and Jim Cornette's got this amazing, the most amazing yeah. comic book collection I've ever heard of in yeah, my life totally. or seen. It's like 
between that and his wrestling memorabilia and all these other pop culture things, Jim Cornette's collection there in Louisville where he lives is absolutely breathtaking. Yeah. Absolutely breathtaking. Uh, but uh, when we opened our restaurant, he sent me some Western, because it was a barbecue restaurant, uh-huh. sent me some Western comic books. I got Hopalong Cassidy, I got Gene Autry, I got Roy Rogers. Uh, but there was a whole string of... Uh, of TV Western based comic books. Yeah, they were huge for a long period, especially in the 50s and the uh, in the early 60s. Western uh, and was a huge culture for us. And these were all mint condition. We had them all framed. It was just it's cool, you know. It brought back it, all those memories came flooding back of man. Now, if I because I was a big fan of those shows on TV, right? If these had, if I had seen these or had more access to them, this would this could have been a go-to number two. Yeah. Because I, yeah, they had the TV show to back it up. Yeah. No different, no different than George Reeves on those old Superman episodes that went into syndication. Yeah. That kept promoting the comic book. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I, getting back to the WCW books for a sec, one of the interesting things for me was uh, looking through them was because this was during an era where there was there was a significant amount of turnover in terms of the actual active roster. You had a lot of you had a lot of characters coming in and out of the comics with a, with very little explanation. But you were kind of the uh, cornerstone character in some ways of that 12-issue uh, WCW run, and it seemed like the writer really took to, uh, you became his muse in a lot of ways. You were, uh, you were the voice of the creative team there. Now, were you, when, when this comic was being produced, you said, you know, everyone was looking at these, were you aware of the uh, significant role you had, especially as someone who grew up a comics fan, that you are now a no. significant character? Not unlike any of the other talents in the locker room who who were disappointed when they weren't in a, uh, an episode of the comic book, mm-hmm. when they were absolutely elated to be on a cover. Yeah. Uh, I was just tickled to death that I was actually just made a, 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 a page. Yeah. That, 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 that there was a box that had me in it. And uh, I know that... I think uh, Paul Heyman and Missy Hyatt were also uh, kind of uh, reoccurring characters because yeah. of the television show, and that's what that's what we were going with at that time. All three of us had a decent uh, uh, TV exposure. But I'll tell you this as well. It created a level of angst uh, between talents. Oh, because that. Somebody, somebody would say, you know, you know, they'll know, they would know, and it's just the wrestler's way. It's like I, like if I knew that you were not in this this recent episode, I would say, "Hey Ben, how did you like the the new comic book?" Yeah, stick it to him. Oh yeah, just yeah. for the hell of it, and the, to stick a mean dog with a sharp stick. Oh, that's always a wise thing to do. Yeah, of course. So uh, <laughs> uh, the the. Uh, the, the consternation that it caused upper management was uh, something they hadn't had to deal with because it was a comic book. We had, there had never been, at least in their company, uh, uh, a WCW comic book uh, or have to deal with the problems of Because I don't even know how the guys got paid. Yeah. I, I don't know that I ever made a nickel off the comic book. I sure, I, I sure wouldn't know. <laughs> well, I don't have any, and I don't have any reservations, nor did I then. 
uh, or after. It's never been an issue, and I think this is probably the most I've ever even thought about it. <laughs> but I just looked at it, it was a cool promotional Yeah, new uh, opportunity. And it, yeah, and it, cre- it created an awareness for uh, my, my TV persona. So I saw it as a win. Like if the company's making money, that's helping us. They're paying us, so let's give them as healthy as we can. So that was a big deal. It was it was either elation or people running around, you know, big 300-pound guys with big muscles running around, wanting people to see them on the cover of a comic book, yeah. or, they're, or they're in there just like like a child. Yeah. You know, it's like getting, oh, my God, this is what I wanted for Christmas. <laughs> that one present that you just, you know, it's the bicycle. It's the it's the little red wagon. It's the, it's the now it could be some video game or some game system, a gaming system or something. It's the gift. And for these guys, that's how they acted. It was the gift. I'm, I'm in a comic book, man. How cool is that? So it was a big deal. It was a really big deal because we forget how popular comic books are in in all these generations. I was born in 52, and I'm a child of a comic book era. Mm-hmm. And now there there's... And even in smaller towns, there's comic book stores. They've, yeah. they've made such an amazing resurgence, and they're up with the times and the you know the cutting edge. Uh, you know they're they're topical, and they're timely. So uh, I think they might have been a little bit more generic when I was a kid, but but, but the life was a little simpler then as well. I'll, I will admit. Now some of the but best comics came from that era, though. Yeah, and now man, they're they're. Uh, there's some really revolutionary stuff, some clever writing that I notice in comic books today that uh, they're like, this may sound crazy in my analogy, I, I compare them to The Sopranos. Okay. Because when I go back and watch the Sopra- uh, Soprano rerun, now I've already seen every episode multiple times, mm-hmm. so I'm obviously a major Soprano freak. Mm-hmm. Uh, Heartbroken when they stopped. Yeah, yeah. Heartbroken again when James Gandolfini passed away oh, unexpectedly. Yeah. yeah. Way, way too early, way too soon. But every episode, and I, if we hung up now and I go watch a, go hit, you know, DVD of uh, The Sopranos, I will, I will hear something or see something in a scene that I had not yet seen or that was new. Or that was, oh, now I get that. Right, yeah. And the same thing with the comic books. They're so smartly written <laughs> that you can go back and read a comic book again and yeah. you, you gain more information. Yeah. You can you can do a little DNA forensic reading <laughs> and, you, and you get some clues or you get some new data. I like that analogy so a lot. Very smart, yeah, they're very smartly done. Yeah. Cool. Well, Jim, before I uh, before I let you go here, um, and I feel like we could we could we could talk for a long time. You got a busier schedule than I do today, but you got stuff coming up. You got stuff coming up this weekend. Um, it's, it's it's the weekend of the Royal Rumble for WWE in Philadelphia. But you got some stuff going on in the Philadelphia area in New Jersey. I wanted to uh, talk to you briefly about that. What you've got okay. ahead, and uh, what what kind of things you've been up to lately in general. I don't mind shilling a little bit. Yeah. To sell I don't money. mind letting you. I'm a I'm a capitalist at heart, a free enterprise <laughs> entrepreneur. I got I, on the Royal Rumble weekend. I have my, I I've been doing these one man shows called Ringside with Jim Ross, and basically it's a, I do a little monologue 
to kind of set the GPS for everybody from the time I got in the business at 22 years old, which I thought would be part-time, till now I'm 63 and I'm still kind of in the wrestling business. Now it's part-time. I had, I had a 40-year career of full-time work that was going to be a part-time gig. Sure, right. And I, and I, went, and I went through those, six, those 74 when I got in the business, so there was no uh, athletic commission uh, the sanctionings or anything uh, it was pretty much the wild west it was everybody was an independent contractor you, there was 25 or 30 territories you could go to there were no written contracts uh, you, you were in, you were like a you had like a route so every week you're in the same city on the same night and that led to a lot of uh, divorces and uh, children born out of wedlock and, and things of that nature it was long before Betty Ford, uh, you had guys coming back from Vietnam that had issues that became wrestlers. Uh, you had, uh, you know, it was a, your boss wasn't going to drug test you. Uh, you, you made these ridiculous car trips every week, uh, you know, 2,000 miles a week, where I, in my territory, was nothing unusual. Yeah. And he worked every day, because if he didn't, the days you didn't work, you didn't get paid. Yeah. So, uh, it's got a lot of, and, it's, and then it went, takes us through the, the syndicated TV era, then into the cable TV era, then to the satellite TV, and the pay-per-views, and then corporate ownership, and then publicly traded companies, and, you know, my run in WWE as the head of talent relations, and going into the Hall of Fame in 2007, and having three bouts of Bell's palsy, and losing both my parents while I was uh, in, in work, while I was working in WWE. Uh, it's it's a it's a unique story that I try to capsulize ca- capsulize quickly, and then it, uh, it's meant to kind of okay okay I didn't know that oh I didn't know that so it sets the table for what is really the the heart and soul of my shows and that's the the Q and A's with yeah, the audience absolutely because the audience is there you can you can check the pulse of the wrestling business by the questioning and the mindset of the people that are there. <laughs> and I tell them that, if you, hey, look, you're nice enough to come see me, which I sincerely appreciate and am, and am grateful. I'm not going to limit what you can, what topics you can talk about. So, in other words, nothing is off limits. And if I if I don't know the answer, like say, like they would say, what's your favorite match of all time? Well, I don't have one. Hmm. I'll tell, but I'll tell them why. Yeah. And I and I might give them some examples of matches that would probably be on the list. Sure. But I don't blow them off. If you don't get an answer, uh, you'll get an explanation. Yeah, absolutely. And a good point. And that's a good way of putting it. I'll use that going forward. Yeah. The, uh, I'll borrow you. I'll borrow your, your material. Absolutely. Because uh, I know somebody's going to say, and here they how they preface it. Listen closely. Don't you think that Chris Benoit should be in the WWE Hall of Fame? Mm-hmm. And then they don't say, because I do, but they, they actually did say, because I do, in right. the way they framed their question. And I'll tell them the answer. Yeah. No. I don't, and and here's why, and it's a, probably it's, it's, a, it's a different answer than people anybody would ever think of. Mm-hmm. So I do, they would do the Q and A's, and that's and then uh, that lasts about 90 minutes, and it goes by like a flash, because it just moves, boom, 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 boom. You try to find humor, you try to find some lightheartedness in as many topics as you can, but like on the Ben Wall question, how do you find? happiness or, or being jovial 
on that topic. Yeah, I can't imagine. You can't. So you don't you want to you don't want to take the air out of the room. And I'm not going to make fun of the questioner, but I'm going to answer the question uh, accurately, succinctly, and uh, you know, and, and as proficiently as I possibly can. So that's that. And we also do, and my tickets for those shows, we're going to be Friday night. January 23rd, that's a Friday before the Royal Rumble, yep. in uh, Sayersville, New Jersey, at the Starland Ballroom. And tickets start at 20 bucks. Yes, I said 20 bucks, folks. <laughs> at www.axs.com. Then uh, on Saturday, I'm going to be in Philly, and I'm going to take the, uh, the first annual Jim Ross uh, Philly Cheesesteak Tour. All right, yeah. And uh, so that could be a, uh, you know, uh, some Pepto-Bismol, Metamucil-type day. Yep, one of those. Uh, In hindsight, or Alka-Seltzer, whatever, but I'm going to go for the record. Yeah. But nonetheless, uh, so then Sunday, the day of the Rumble, I'll be in Philadelphia at the Trocadero Theater. Mm -hmm. Been there for years. And uh, I think it seats about 500, small, intimate group. And uh, that's going to be it. That the meet and greet, uh, fast of the show, where the VIP meet and greets that I do for all my shows uh, will start at one o'clock. And people come in, they they I'll sign their stuff. I'll take pictures with them. We'll shoot the breeze a little bit. I'm going to give them everybody a free bottle of uh, Jr's original barbecue sauce and come through the VIP line nice. just for try to say thanks a little in another way. Uh, and then, uh, so the, the, the meet and greets in Sayreville start at 6. The meet and greets in Philly on Sunday start at 1 o'clock in the afternoon. The show starts at 3. The show will be over by 5, and you're just a few minutes, I mean literally a few minutes, away from, from the Trocadero to the uh, right. Wells Fargo Arena. So, so if you got tickets to the like plenty of time to go. Yeah, this, yeah. yeah. It's like we're going to tailgate with Jr. Mm-hmm. Let's have some fun. Yeah. And hit, hit him with the questions and whatever. Uh, engage in conversation and, and, and get a few laughs. And then, you know, I'll, I'll have some product there. They could buy some product if they want. I'm not going to force it on them. Uh, but they want to buy some sauce and not to pay freight and shipping and all that. It'll be there. Uh, and But they'll be out in plenty of time to make it to the... Uh, uh, Royal Rumble and not miss one minute of it. So it's going to be good. So in, in closing, Friday, January 23, Sayreville, Starland Ballroom, uh, uh, Wrestling with Jim, evening, uh, Wrestling with Jim Ross, and uh, I need to know my name on the show. And then Sunday, the day of the Rumble in Philly, I'll be at the Trocadero Theater for a 3 o'clock showtime. Uh, and uh, I'm looking forward to it. www.axs.com for tickets. And I think they're affordably priced, but they started at 20 bucks. So, yeah. you know, it's a fun thing. I enjoy. The fans have been so special to me over the years. Uh, they've been great supporters. They've been very, all through my, you know, when I had the facial paralysis three times, still has some remnants. Mm-hmm. Can't smile, can't show my teeth. People always think I'm pissed off. I'm not. Uh, but uh, I would make a good movie villain. I'm, I'm convincing my manager of that. But, uh, <laughs> I'll, so, put in, uh, I'll put in a word with Marvel Studios. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> I am in. I, I can't smile. I'm expressionless. <laughs> I have a poker face for, for real. So that might be a good name for a character. Absolutely. I've got to look it up and see if we have that. 
There you go. You may own it. Yeah. And if you don't, if you don't, let's jump all over there because you know once this gets out there, some someone's going to snatch it up. Oh, somebody's going to go for it, man. Yeah. So, uh, uh, but I, I, they never, uh, the fans never turn their back. They always, they, it's almost as if they were saying, we don't care what you look like. Mm-hmm. We just want to hear what your passion and you care and you tell us stories and you make us care. So that was kind of the way I've always approached that half full glass because I can't do anything about the neurological situation. Mm-hmm. Just what, it's what it is. But man, there's so many people got so many more ailments and issues that I, I, uh, I don't, you know, I can't complain about not being able to whistle, you know, or pucker up, or or smile real big, or you know, somebody doesn't know who you are, and you, you know, you, everybody's got a camera phone. So, will you take a picture of my boy? Oh, sure. I'm always, always have to take pictures of fans. Yeah. Then you get the guy that don't know, say, "Come on, Jr., smile." And that's, you know, you just do, you don't say, I, Jared, I've learned it's best just not to say anything. Yeah. Because Good you're going to embarrass this guy. Yeah. Hey, buddy, I'd like to, but, you know, my face is paralyzed. My mouth is still yeah. paralysis. Yeah, you oh, got my a, God. You, you got a good reason. Yeah, I just, yeah, I I just don't say anything. Then yeah. I don't want to embarrass the, the dad from his, like, you know, God, what dumb dad. Jeez. Yeah. So anyway, it's good, man. It's all good. And Absolutely. Life is good. And I appreciate your time. And as one of those fans you were talking about earlier, appreciate certainly everything you've done over the years. And I think it's really cool. People can make it out to these shows in Sayreville coming up on Friday, Philadelphia coming up on Sunday. And like you said, they can follow you on Twitter at jrsbarbecue.com or jrsbarbecue. And uh, right. the website's jrsbarbecue.com, right? Yes, sir. Yes, it is. There you go. Plenty of ways to reach out. But I really appreciate you spending 45 minutes with me today. This was a blast for me. And uh, hopefully you guys are listening. You learned a little bit about wrestling. You learned a little bit about comics. And, uh, Jim, hopefully we we can have you back sometime. We can can do a sequel. Okay, man. Anytime. I appreciate it. Always. It's good to visit with you. And and thanks for uh, the comic books. I mean, it made my week. Absolutely. It made my week. I got pretty good retention. And even though I read them, uh, they're out what year, 91? Something like that, 91, 92, around that area. So you're looking at, let's say, golly, how many years is that? It's got to be coming up, on, coming up on a little over, over 20, that's for sure. So 25 yeah. or something like that, yeah. Yeah, so we're we're two decades fast. And so now it's new material again. There you go. Enjoy so all over again. I got a good recall, but I did have a, a kind of an epic uh, 70s in the wrestling business, so... <laughs> Felt like the uh, the uh, Eagles and that uh, some of the, that some of their stories of we had a great time in St. Louis, but I've forgotten what happened. Yeah. Perfect <laughs> <laughs> way to wrap it up. Well, thank yeah. you, thank you, Jim Ross, for joining us, and everybody. Until next time, this is Marvel, your universe. <laughs>